morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And I'm so great to be back with you after a, a few weeks away. Uh, we've had an opportunity just to, to take a few. Oh, thanks. No. Thrilled to be back. Uh, we had an opportunity just to have a little time uh, as a family to get some of that rest uh, that uh, Jason talked about. And then also um, a few weeks just to plan and uh, to prepare for what is next year in this uh, upcoming season of ministry at Bell Shoals. And and um, really grateful for that time and, and super, super excited to be back. I'm also grateful for Matthew Angel and uh, his outstanding preaching the past few weeks. Matthew's awesome. I love Matthew. And uh, I want to be just like him when I grow up one day. So hopefully that will happen. But uh, again, just super excited about what God is doing. And on a, a few, one of the weeks where uh, I was away with my family, we went over to, to the Cocoa Beach area. I hadn't been there since I was a kid. And I kept hearing, you know, it's just a couple of hours away. And, uh, and it is, it's about two hours to Orlando on I-4 with all the traffic. And, uh, and then eventually you make it over to the East Coast. And, and uh, we, we had a great time there just for a couple of days. And, and um, on, on one of the days we were there, it was, it was pretty cool to watch this, this huge storm roll in. And, and the storm was kind of going north to south, which was somewhat unique, it seemed. And, and uh, as this storm came in, literally, I mean, we just kind of sat on the beach for a while and watched it. And eventually it got to us. And so we went inside. And, and when that happened, I snapped a bunch of pictures because it was such a, a powerful storm. I brought one of the pictures with me today to show you because as I was sitting there watching the storm, and as I was looking at this picture uh, after the fact, there were, there were some things that stood out to me that I think are incredibly applicable to our season of life right now. Uh, you'll notice here that, that um, you, you've got like on the bottom left uh, of the screen, you, you've got just normal waves coming in to the, to, to the beach. The, you know, the, 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 the energy of, of, of a wave starts miles off the coast and it comes in and, and you know as well as I do that that energy and that power is unstoppable. That power and that energy is gonna move from the ocean to the shoreline. You can see even though the storm is moving in the opposite direction that, that there are still crashing waves coming into the shoreline. But this is what stood out to me. You'll also notice some ripples on the water that are commensurate with the power of the storm and the power of the wind. And so when you look at the water, you'll see that there are ripples in the water that are actually going in the same direction as the storm. They're going north to south. In fact, I've got some other pictures where those, those ripples are so strong, they actually become like small waves with white caps. And so it was this incredible dynamic where you've got the normal flow and the normal movement of the water coming from the ocean to the shoreline. But at the same time, you have the power of the storm and the, and the power of the wind pushing the water on the surface in the complete opposite direction. And so it was like you had two different waves crashing at the same time. And it was, it was pretty cool to see. I'd never seen anything like that before. And it, and, it, and it just kind of fixed itself in my mind as a representation of where we are as a society right now. You know, Bell Shoals is a part of a mission and a movement that's changing the world. We are the church. And Jesus said many years ago that he will build his church in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Our brand mark represents a crashing wave because a wave as powerful energy is something that's largely invisible to the human eye. We can't see the power of, of, of that energy beneath the waterline until it meets a shoal and, and that shallow body of land pushes that energy up and that's what we see as a crashing wave. But the energy has been there and is there all along. We only see the manifestation of that energy and that power when it meets the shoal. And we've communicated to you in the past, if you're new to Bell Shoals and you see our brand mark, I want you to understand that that is a picture of the church. The church is an unstoppable movement. The church is the power of God, but much of what God does through the church is invisible to the human eye. <laughs> The power of God and the movement of God is, is working. God is accomplishing his purpose in such a way that nothing will ever stand against it. We, we get to see, however, some visible representations of God's work through the church. We don't see all of it. We see much of it through the church. And, and so that crashing wave represents what we are all about, a mission and a movement that's changing the world. But here's where we are today in our society. There are some crosswinds. There is a storm of competing value systems, competing ideologies, competing standards of living. And we are like today, right now, in a society where on the one hand, the, the movement of God is unstoppable. And like the energy moving from the ocean to the coastline, God's church is continuing to move and advance. But on the surface of our society, there are these crosswinds, these cross waves, these competing value systems and ideologies. And it looks like there's a power and an energy that sometimes is greater than what lies beneath the surface. If you haven't noticed, I mean, we live in a society in a culture that is radically redefining gender. We live in a society that's radically redefining truth. We live in a society that's radically redefining marriage. We live in a society that is radically redefining how we see life, in particular human life. We live in a culture that is radically eradicating any legitimacy to an eternal heaven and an eternal hell. We live in a society now that tells us God's design for Man and woman, God's design for gender, God's design for marriage, God's design for sexuality, all of these things are antiquated. All of these things are, are no longer valuable or instructive for us. And what we need to do is embrace a value system that is open, that is tolerant, Unless, of course, you disagree with that value system, at which point it becomes intolerant. But we need to embrace the storm, embrace what we see on the waterline, embrace the competing ideologies. And I, and I have to tell you, and this breaks my heart, there are many, many churches and Christians that are doing just that. I'll tell you what concerns me as your pastor is that we have many, many, many people across our nation who identify as 
some type of Christian or some type of believer, but who are going right along with the current that is on top of the waterline. I'm concerned about a generation of students, college students, high school students, middle school students, elementary students, who legitimately come every single week to worship, but don't think there's anything wrong with two people having sex before they get married. That don't think there's anything wrong with having various makeout buddies in high school or college where there's no legitimate relationship, only just the thrill of physical contact. And that's normal and it's acceptable. I'm concerned about a, a generation of young men and young women who come to worship every week, but they don't really understand that gender matters and that reassigning a pronoun to someone is devastating in numerous ways. I'm concerned for a generation that, that doesn't see human life any differently than they see animal life or other areas of life. And it, for them, is, is just antiquated to suggest that there is something distinct and special about human beings. I'm telling you, we live in a society where, make no mistake about it, even though we don't always see it, the mission and the movement of God is advancing, but also there is a storm that is larger than we've ever seen before to the extent that there are crosswinds blowing and many people and even many people who espouse Christianity are being swept away on the surface. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna be in a teaching series called Swimming Upstream. And we're gonna talk about some really sensitive, but some really necessary topics. We're, we're gonna talk about whether or not we can really know absolute truth. We're gonna talk about homosexuality. We're gonna talk about gender. We're gonna talk about the sanctity of human life and whether there really is sanctity to human life. We're gonna talk about heaven and hell and whether or not there really is an eternal judgment. We're, we're gonna talk about some things that many people doubt. And I know some of you who've been around for a while don't doubt these things at all. But I know many of you are new to church, you're new to Bell Shoals. Many of you have children or grandchildren who are connecting with us. And there are legitimately hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of people connecting with us every single week who don't really fully know where they stand on some of these issues. And then there are many others who are firm in their convictions, but, but not to the extent that it manifests itself in a courage to really stand up for what is right and what is true, where they live, where they work, where they go to school. Because where we are as a society right now, this so burdens me, is, 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 is unlike anything I've ever seen, certainly in my lifetime, I assume that's the case for many of you. We're, we're, we as Christ followers literally are swimming upstream and going against the grain. I never thought that I would live in a society in the United States that, that would look at me cross-eyed for suggesting that gender matters. <laughs> I never thought that day would come, right? I mean, I'm shocked by that. 
I mean, I'm a little surprised to talk with students and families about the implications of our technology being unmonitored and unfiltered and to see the fallout of what happens when we embrace the normalcy of our society with respect to sexual ethics and sexual integrity. I'm, I'm just stunned. And so, and so listen, today I, I, I want to I go back to an example that I think all of us can relate to with respect to someone in human history that had to face the same type of cultural shift that you and I are facing. Before we go in next week and start diving into these issues one by one, I, I want us to really think about a broader picture of what it means and what it looks like to stand firm with grace and wisdom in a society where the winds are moving in the opposite direction of God's will and God's purpose. We're gonna go back to the nation of Israel. Now, Israel was no stranger, of course, to to, to, to moving away from God's plan and God's purpose. Israel, by the way, like many in our society, Israel often moved away from God's best as they were influenced by other cultures around them. Remember, they, they, they had God as their king at one point. At one point in time, Israel was led personally by the God of this universe. And Israel said, no, that's not good enough for us. Can you imagine that? That's like having Urban Meyer as your head coach and then saying, we no longer want him as our head coach. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm just teasing with you. I'm just messing with you. I got, I got some friends who love Florida and they just can't, anytime I mention Urban Meyer, they just, they, they have a seizure. So I, <laughs> Israel, listen, Israel had God as their king. You know what they said? Influenced by their other Neighbors, you know what they said? Everybody else has a human king. We want a king. God says, you have a king. No, 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 we want a real king. You know, sometimes we ought to be careful what we ask for. God says, all right, I'll give you one. You want a human king? Here you go, off and running. Didn't work out. I mean, repeatedly, Israel's been in this cycle, right? If you go back and you just look at the history of Israel, you just see this cycle of like generation after generation influenced by their society, influenced by their culture. And they're led into immorality. They're led into idolatry. They're just swept away by their, by their societies in which they live. And, and they neglect time and time again, the plan and the purpose of God, which was so much better for them. I mean, this started all the way back when God delivered Israel and established them as a nation. Remember when he delivered them out of Egypt? Do you remember how long it took them to get from Egypt into Canaan? Do you remember that? Like it should have taken a relatively short period of time. It took them 40 years. Do you know why, ladies, it took them 40 years? Because you had a bunch of men leading them who wouldn't stop and ask for directions. <laughs> I know many of you can relate to that. No, actually, it was because they grumbled against the Lord and they resisted the grace of God. Do you remember they grumbled against Moses? They grumbled against their leadership. They grumbled against God. And at one point they even said, I cannot believe they said this. They said, it was better for us when we were slaves in Egypt. Really? If I were running the show, I would have zapped them all and just started over. 
but God is gracious and he didn't. And so here's what God did. God said, I'll tell you what, this generation that I miraculously delivered will not enter the promised land. Not a single person from that first generation entered the promised land, but God was faithful to his his promises for the nation itself. And he said, "I, I will deliver the people. That second generation went into the promised land. And history kept repeating itself, influenced by the societies around them, influenced by the cultures around them. There might be a generation that was faithful and loyal to God who experienced his blessings, but sure enough, the crosswinds would come and the next generation after them would fall back into the same idolatry and immorality. It happened over and over and over again. Now let me fast forward to a season in Israel's history where, check this out, we are 19 kings removed from David. And for all of these kings and all of these years that they represent, God had been warning his people, you better get turned around. You better repent of your sin. You better turn away from worshiping all these other false gods of these nations around you. You better stop matching your value system to the value system of these other nations. God kept telling them through his prophets. He kept giving them warning after warning after warning. I'm telling you, you better stop conforming to the nations, to the secular societies, and you better start following me. If if you don't, I'm gonna bring you into captivity. If you don't, I'm gonna bring you into a place of judgment. If you don't, I'm going to remove you from this land that you've held dear for so long. And for all of these years, Israel stopped listening. I mean, it's almost as if they thought, well, God hadn't done it by now. He doesn't mean what he said. He's not going to do it. And they just, like, like they, they, they mistook God's patience as his absence. And then God showed up. But God didn't show up as a gracious deliverer. He showed up in the person of King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. Because during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he took it over. Now you have to understand, Nebuchadnezzar was a bad dude. The Babylonian empire was incredible. We still talk about it even today. Did you realize one of the ancient wonders of the world is the hanging gardens of Babylon? I mean, this was an incredible nation. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless king. You see, you had three kings from Jehoiakim uh, on to, to, to the last king before the full captivity started. And that last king, here's what he tried to do. He, you know, you got, you got, you got three kings there in, in succession. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar in, in Babylon besieged Jerusalem. They're controlling much of it, but they're allowing Israel to operate. But then the, the last king tries to run and flee with his family. Nebuchadnezzar tracks him down. Here's what he does. I just want you to understand how ruthless Nebuchadnezzar was. He tracks them down, okay? He takes the king and his sons and he makes that king watch as they murder every single one of his sons in front of him. I mean, can you imagine seeing your children killed while you look on? And after they killed every single one of his sons, they gouged out his eyes and let him live as a prisoner which I'm sure at that point he would have rather died. You know what Nebuchadnezzar called that? Tuesday. (laughs) That's just another day at the office. This was a ruthless king. These were a ruthless 
people, okay? And, 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 they, and they overtake Jerusalem. They come as a manifestation of God's judgment. God told Israel time and time and time again, but Israel did not listen. They were conforming to their culture. They were embracing the value system of their other societies around them. They neglected the Lord. They worshiped idols. They lived in immorality. They were driven by the same values of every other secular kingdom around them. And you know what? If you look through the history of the world and you study societies, you find that every society ends up in some form or fashion valuing three of the same things. What are they? Money, sex, and power. That's what you end up with. If you remove the Lord from the equation of your life, if you remove the Lord from the equation of your nation, what you end up with is the ultimate pursuit of those three things, money, sex, and power in some form or fashion. And guess what Israel began to embrace? A culture of wickedness and immorality and idolatry, just like every other nation on the face of the earth. God said, okay, no more. And he finally brings the judgment that he said he would bring if they didn't repent. And it came through Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and they take over Jerusalem. They besiege the city. Now, let me show you here in Daniel chapter one, what, what else he does. And, and it's just, it's, it's incredible. But there are some lessons in, in, in this for us. All right, let me, let me go to Daniel chapter one, verse two. Check this out. And so the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and the Lord gave him victory. Who gave him the victory? The Lord did. We'll come back to that, but I just want you to see that none of this is happening apart from the providence of God. And so the Lord gave the victory to Nebuchadnezzar and the victory was over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And he permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, literally in the original language, which at this point is Hebrew. Daniel's written in both Hebrew and Aramaic. This first chapter is in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it literally says to the land of Shinar. That's where he took these objects and he placed them in the treasure house of his God. The land of Shinar is important, by the way, because that is the same place years before where people had constructed the tower of Babel. And now at the same place where mankind in their pride tried to construct the tower of Babel, now Babylon is taking the artifacts out of the Jewish temple and storing them. Do you think God has a sense of humor? I mean, how tragic is this for Israel? I mean, you see, you just see how all of this is coming together tragically in Israel's judgment. So here's what happens next. Go to verse, go to verse three if you're there. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring the, to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. He said, select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. He said, and make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted with knowledge and good judgment. They're suited to serve in the royal palace. And train up these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And so the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, and they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Let me tell you quickly here this is what the Babylonians did. Brilliant strategy. They took the best and the brightest out of Israel, took them back to Babylon. These young men were teenagers, they were about 15 years old. They, they were taken into the king's service. The king noticed is going to completely retrain their minds. 
He's going to immerse them in Babylonian culture. He's going to immerse them in Babylonian learning. They're going to be trained, educated, which was very rare at that time. And they're going to serve in the king's court. These men were incredibly blessed to have this opportunity. I know it's never good to be a prisoner, but, but as prisoners, if you will, at least they were serving in the king's court. He says, Nebuchadnezzar does, I'm gonna feed them even from my own kitchens. They're gonna have the same food that I eat of, the same drink that I drink of. And so these men, at least in terms of being a captive in Babylon, had it the very, very best you could have it. Still a tragic situation for these men. They'd lost their families. They'd lost their homeland. I'm not saying this is good for them. I'm just saying it's better than the alternative. But it's genius for Nebuchadnezzar who knew if he took the best and the brightest out of Jerusalem, it would completely reduce the potential threat of a revolt. So he takes the best and the brightest out of Israel. He puts them in Babylon. He's gonna train them and he's gonna use them there. Now check this out. We're gonna get some specific guys that are here. All right, one of them of course is Daniel. And then you have Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Notice they had names that if you look into them, honor the Lord. Now they're gonna get names that honor the pagan gods of Babylon. Devastating. Daniel's called Belshazzar. Hananiah's called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Hazariah was called Abednego. But now here's where things get interesting. Check this out, verse eight. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And then the, we see that God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. And so he listens. He listens to Daniel. Now, the reason Daniel would have rejected the menu that the king provided was related to the food laws that God had given to Israel. These were laws given to Israel as a nation. They govern them, they don't govern us. But, but Daniel is a faithful Jewish man and he took God's word and God's will very seriously. And he says, I'm not gonna defile myself with the food from Nebuchadnezzar's table, not only because it violates my, 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 my customs and what God has told me to eat, but it also is food that's dedicated to these pagan gods. He says, I'm not gonna do it. And, and, and so the chief of staff whom viewed Daniel favorably because God had given Daniel favor in his eyes, he says this next, he said, I'm afraid of my Lord, the King, who's ordered you to eat this food and wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to the others, then I'm afraid the King's gonna have me beheaded. Hey, Daniel, I get it. But listen, man, this is gonna end one of two ways. Either I lose my head or you lose your head. And I'm afraid it's gonna be me because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't play any games as we've already discussed. And so Daniel says this, he says, well, I'll tell you what, just test us for 10 days. Don't make a permanent change yet. Give me 10 days and, and give me a diet of vegetables and water. In other words, Daniel says, I've got a connection at the, at the USDA. I've got all whole food organics, okay? We only shop at Sprouts and Whole Foods and I've got, I've, got, I've got a diet. I'm telling you, I'll be fine. And so he says, after 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food and then make your decision on what you see. Some of you are like, see, right there, right there. That's the Daniel diet. That's what we ought to be doing. And I say to you, get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, that's what I say to you, all right? 
I am not living on a diet of vegetables, okay? I want a hamburger. I want some ribs. I want some brisket. I want some steak. I want some barbecue chicken. I want some Chick-fil-A. Listen, the most enthusiastic any person has got today at our worship service is when we announce Wednesday night food is coming back. We want Christian chicken, all right? So I'm all about eating healthy and I get it, but, but I, in all seriousness, I just want you to know like, of course, the point of this is not to give us a diet. It's, it's important that we take care of our bodies. But the, the point here is Daniel's conviction. That's the point. <laughs> the point is Daniel is saying, I'm, I'm not going to violate the word and the will of God, no matter what the cost. And, and, he's, and he says, but trust me, I, Listen, if you allow us to eat according to how God's given us to eat, he said, you know, we've eaten this way our whole lives. We're fine. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be okay. And let me just show you quickly what happened next. And so, so the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion. He tested him for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, guess what? Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nursed than the other young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and the wine provided for others. And God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom and God blessed them greatly. And they, they, they initially prospered there in the kingdom. Daniel even with the ability to interpret meanings and visions and dreams, which, which comes into play later on. And so I, I just want you to see here, Daniel, I believe is given the same type of choice that many of us are being given right now in our society. Will we yield to the value system of the society in which we are now immersed or will we stand firm in what God has given to us with respect to his word and his will? And Daniel's a model for us of what it looks like to be guided by principle. He's a model for us and what it looks like to be a strong and a courageous man or woman. And, and, and he's an, he's an illustration of what Proverbs sixteen seven tells us, which I love, that when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. Isn't that a good word? And, and, so, and so here's the thing. And, and this, this, this is one takeaway I want to give you. And I, I hope you'll make a note of it. And just I hope this will ground the next few weeks for you as we tackle some really sensitive and some really difficult issues together. I, I, I just want you to have this in the back of your mind, okay? That if you wanna make a difference in our context, you must be different than our culture. Listen to me, Bell Shoals family. If you wanna make a difference today, you need to be different today. We do not esteem Daniel because he was just like everybody else. We don't esteem Daniel because he just fell in line with the other Babylonian value systems and worship rituals. Daniel said, if you read on through the book, you're gonna find this is true for Daniel and his three friends. They will not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. They will not embrace the value system of Babylon and they stand firm in their conviction that God's word and God's will is best. In other words, if you want to make a difference, you have to be different. And that's true of us today. Yes, that's true of us today. I, I, I'm just blown away by, by, by how quickly our culture is moving away from anything that resembles 
what is best for us in terms of God's plan and God's purpose. I'm not surprised, by the way, that there are many, many people or a majority of people that reject the word and the will of God. Jesus taught us long ago that we are on the narrow path, right? I'm never surprised when the world acts like the world. But let me tell you what I am surprised by over the past couple of years. I'm, I'm surprised by the pace the warp speed with which our society is moving away from anything that resembles the, the, the will of God, which is what is best for us. I'm, I'm amazed by, by how corrupt much uh, of our society has become, how quickly they're pushing agendas as normal and as expected to be adopted and embraced by all. I'm just blown away just over the past several years and how quickly the crosswinds have begun to blow. And by the way, how so so many now are expecting every single one of us to fall in line with them. I'm amazed by how many churches have already fallen in line. It reminds me of the heyday of theological liberalism that first came out of Germany years ago. You know, there was a wave of about 25 years here in our nation back in the 60s and 70s and, and early to mid 80s where there were many churches that fell in line with this theological liberalism. You know what they thought at the time? They thought if we embrace the current waves and the current trends, we will be more effective. We will reach more people. And can I just tell you, this is the absolute truth now after we've had a couple of decades to evaluate this. This is the absolute truth. The, the smallest churches in America, the churches with the highest percentage of, 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 of uh, churches that have closed their doors are theologically liberal churches that embraced the culture over God's word and then died on the vine. That is the absolute truth. We know this historically. Now, let me say it this way. These are, these are people who made the decision some 50 years ago that in order to be effective, we've got to be the same. In order to be effective, we have to conform. And they're no longer around. They fail to understand, no, that in order to make a difference, you have to be different. And let me tell you where we are right now. It's not theological liberalism that's at our front door right now. It is a radical shifting of our value system. It is a radical redefining of gender. It is a radical redefining of marriage. It is a radical undermining of life. It is a radical misunderstanding of sex. It is a radical, selfish driven perspective on money. And the biggest threat to the church in America today is the threat of a competing value system that is on top of the waterline, moving in an opposite direction of God's plan and God's purpose. And let me tell you something, we're already seeing churches make the same mistake that theologically liberal churches made 50 years ago. They're saying in order to be effective today, we've gotta be the same. And I'm telling you right now, these churches will not survive. You only make a difference by being different. And if you're a Christ follower today and you're anchoring your life in the authority of God's word, let me, let me give you a piece of, of, of news. This may be new to some of you. You 
are different. You are different. By the grace of God. By the grace of God, you are different. And there is nothing you can do as you walk the narrow road to get everybody on the wide road to understand or agree. That's why they're not on the narrow road. They don't understand and they don't agree. And when Daniel found himself in that same environment, I just want you to understand, he didn't compromise. If you wanna make a difference, you gotta be different. Now, can I just give you a little caveat there that a, a fellow pastor made, I heard him say this, and I think it's so good. His name's J.D. Greer's in North Carolina. And J.D. said years ago, he said, you know, being different is not about being weird. <laughs> can I just ask, do any of you know a weird Christian? Does anybody know a weird Christian? Okay, if your hand isn't raised, I, I could be talking about you. Okay, so... <laughs> You know, sometimes we talk about being different and I just have to give this caveat because seriously, like there are people who, who I think misunderstand what it means to be different, right? Like they're just weird. And, and I love what JD said, this is so true. JD makes the case, and I just want you to understand, like for those of you who are new to Bell Shoals, maybe you're new to Christianity, you're new to church, and maybe, maybe it was an obstacle for you for many years to even come to church and to embrace Christianity and to contemplate Christianity because of someone who's a weird Christian. And I just want you to know, they were weird before they became a Christian. Christianity did not make them weird, okay? And praise the Lord, Jesus saves weird people. He saves all who will call upon him. But if you know a weird Christian, that's been a deterrent to you in some way, I promise you they were weird before they came to Jesus. That's why they're weird after they came to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is working on their weirdness, all right? And so I'm not talking about a, I'm not, I'm not talking about a kind of difference to where like, 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 like now you're going you're gonna to attack people in anger or, 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 or you're going to position yourself to be like the, 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 the voice for the church everywhere you go. And you're going to force your opinion, your perspective. Listen, Jesus taught us that, that while we have to be firm in the truth, we have to be wise in our approach, loving toward our neighbors. The, the posture of Jesus toward the unbeliever is always gracious and loving. So I'm not talking about being weird, okay? But I'm talking about being different. Indifferent has consequences, you guys. Different might cost you some friendships. Different might cost you your job. Different might put you in some really awkward conversations. Different might put you in the, in the minority. In our day and time, different might land you on CNN. I'm not saying there aren't consequences of being different. I'm just telling you this. If you want to make a difference, you're going to have to be different. And Daniel was different. He said, I'm not going to compromise my convictions. I'm not going to conform my character. I'm not going to embrace. If you read on in Daniel, I don't have time to get into this today. If you read on in Daniel, you'll see they're, they're not going to worship Nebuchadnezzar. They're not going to worship the pagan gods. And, 
and, and their lives are threatened because of it. Listen, but if you want to make a difference, you got to be different. But as you seek to be different, let me give you a few pieces of encouragement today, all right? And, um, and I'm, I'm going to go as quickly as I can here, all right? You notice we got out a little late in the first service. We're probably going to get out a little late in the second service. All right, so <laughs> but let, let, me go, let me go quickly here, all right? Listen, I just, I just want you to understand, as we go into this series, this is so critically important, okay? First of all, listen, I just want you to understand, our king is sovereign over every leader, nation, and circumstance, Right? We celebrate that. Being different has consequences, but it's okay because you're serving a king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, you can't miss it in this story as Daniel opens up the, the narrative here. Notice it was King Nebuchadnezzar who was given victory by the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar's only advancing on Jerusalem because the Lord has enabled him and allowed him to do it. He's not sovereign over God. Can I show you what Jeremiah says? I love this. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, now the Lord of heaven's army says this, because you've not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. In other words, the Lord's like, Nebuchadnezzar in all of his power and all of his terror and all of his graphic violence and, and in all of, uh, of his authority over Babylon, the greatest nation on the earth at this time, God's like, he's just my deputy. He's only carrying out what I'm allowing him to carry out to ultimately accomplish my plan and my purposes. Listen, no matter what you face as a result of making a difference in your work, in your home, in your school, in your community, listen to me, you can rest assured that God will always honor your faithfulness and God will always be with you no matter what the consequences are. We have a king who is sovereign over every leader, every nation, every circumstance. Secondly, if you wanna make a difference rooted in that hope, you've gotta remember that the character to resist compromise is only revealed in crisis but developed in calm. You'll notice here when you look at Daniel that he went into Babylon with a set of convictions that are manifested after he arrived. In other words, Daniel was settled before he arrived in Babylon concerning how he would live in Babylon. And that needs to be true for us. We need to settle ourselves now on what we believe, why we believe it, what we're gonna stake our lives to, what we're gonna stake our families to, what we're gonna stake our testimonies to before we find ourselves in a situation where we're tested or we're tempted or we're tried. And because of our emotions, our fears, our concerns, we, we compromise. I'm telling you right now, your character and your convictions and your courage, listen to me, it, it is developed in the calm. These things are developed when you are learning and growing and reading and praying. They're developed in the calm. They're only revealed in the crisis. Young ladies, listen to me very, very carefully. The backseat of your boyfriend's car is the wrong place to decide whether or not you're going to be pure and holy and see yourself better than he does with regard to your sexual purity. If you wait till you're in the backseat or you're at that party on Friday night 
to firmly decide how you're going to live your life and how you're going to regard your body, it's too late. Hey, those of you who are young, married, newly married, let me give you a piece of advice. The car dealership is the wrong place to decide whether or not you're going to develop your financial future without the weight and the baggage of significant debt. That's not the place to have to make that decision. (laughs) You need to decide before you shop. Guys, the conference room where your boss or your coworkers state that everyone's going to the strip club after the meeting is a really bad place to solidify whether or not you're gonna prioritize your witness over your work. That's not the place to make that decision. You need to be firmly entrenched in the truth before you ever walk in the meeting. Those of you who are leaders walking into your first meeting as the new boss is a really bad time to solidify whether as a Christian leader, you're gonna lead in a way that lifts others up or you're gonna lead through insecurity in a way that only lifts you up. Serving through your Facebook app after another breaking news story about something that you're passionate about is a really bad time to solidify whether or not you're gonna refrain from allowing a social media platform to taint your witness. You better, you better have that nailed down before you open the app. Unwrapping your new iPhone, your iPad, your MacBook, your Xbox, your PlayStation. Notice I don't have any Microsoft products on there for a reason. Okay, listen, (laughs) listen, that's a really bad time to decide whether or not you're gonna do whatever is necessary to protect your purity and your integrity. If you haven't grown roots that run deep concerning how you're gonna manage technology with respect to your sexual purity. Man, when you get that device and you're off and running, it'll probably be too late. What I'm saying to you is that character to resist compromise is only revealed in crisis, is developed in calm. And one of the things I'm trying to accomplish in this series is to encourage every single one of us to firmly fix ourselves in the truth and the authority of God's will so that when we face the crisis, we face the temptation, we face the decision, we will be prepared. I'm telling you, Daniel was prepared walking into Babylon. He didn't just show up and grow up. No, his convictions were settled long before he got there. So then finally, here's the thing. Life is only meaningful and fulfilling then when we replace an earthly perspective with an eternal perspective. I love this about Daniel. This is so important. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, he was in captivity. You know, the guy was, I mean, yeah, of course, of course he was resisting. No, 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 no. Daniel was, was an elite in captivity. We've already seen, he was blessed. So he, let me say it this way. D- D- Daniel's greatest challenge and temptation was not captivity, it was privilege. Daniel had the best food. Daniel had the best drink. Daniel had the best dress. Daniel had the best education. Daniel had the best opportunity of any of the captives in Israel. The greatest threat to Daniel was not captivity itself. It was losing the privileges inside of it. And for you and me in a society like ours, where we're so blessed to live, by the way, with the absence of severe persecution, at least for now, where we can meet like this without the threat of losing our lives. We're not the underground church, right? We don't have the kind of persecution that other people have had throughout the years or even have right now in other places across the world. Listen to me very, very carefully. Our greatest threat is not persecution. It is privilege. 
Because when we think about anchoring our lives to the truth of God's word, we have to think of it like Daniel did. We think of it in terms of what we might lose. It might cost me a job. It might cost me a friendship. It might cost me an opportunity. It might cost me a ding on my reputation. It might cost me the way people perceive me. I'm telling you, when you take a stand to live for what's right and best and true, if you don't have an eternal perspective on these things, you will be led astray and swept away by the winds of change. And the only way you and I can survive is, and to thrive like Daniel did, by the way, is to know that we have a king that's sovereign over all things, to develop therefore a character and a conviction in the calm before we get to the crisis, and then to maintain a perspective on life where we value the eternal more than the earthly. And we we understand that there are times we may have to give something up on this side of eternity only to gain all the more forever and ever and ever. That's the absolute truth. Listen, Proverbs 16 and eight says it this way, better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it, Jesus says. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You say, well, I don't know, Daniel wasn't persecuted. No, 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 read on, dear friend. What you'll find is in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar builds this, 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 this uh, tower of himself for everybody to worship and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we're not gonna worship it. And then, and then some of these Babylonian uh, mystics go to the king because they're, they're threatened by these Israeli boys who are so wise and, and effective. And so they say, oh, hey, these three aren't bowing down. Nebuchadnezzar's furious, he calls them in. He says, why are you not bowing down? They say, king, we bow down to one, the one true and living God. And he says, well, you're gonna bow down to me. They say, we're not gonna bow down to you. He says, no, you're gonna bow down to me. And it's like working with a teenager. No, you're gonna bow down to me. They say, we're not gonna bow down to you. It's how ruthless he was. He throws them into a fiery furnace. And those boys learned to stay cool when things got hot. (laughs) God protected them. You think they weren't persecuted? Yeah, they were the whole time they were in Babylon. You think they didn't risk losing some things that others valued like really good food and clothing and education? Of course they they threatened, they, 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 they should have lost their lives. You say, well, they didn't. Well, you know what? Many others did. And these guys, they were willing to lose their lives. They weren't gonna bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. And they, and they remind us that it's better to burn on earth and bow in heaven than to bow on earth and burn in hell. And my prayer for every single one of you today is that you get to that place in your life where you live in such a way, you're like, you know what? Even if it costs me something, it's better to burn on earth and bow in heaven than it is to bow on earth and burn in hell. We need to be led by the Bible, not Babylon. We need to run roots deep into God's word and God's will so that we have the courage to stand against the winds of change that are blowing. We need to align ourselves with the mission and the movement that will always have its effect. 
and not with the shifting value system that's seeking to draw us away. We're gonna talk about some of these specific topics in the weeks to come, but today, listen, may I just encourage you right now, before we get into the specifics, may I just encourage you to settle your heart today that you're gonna honor God no matter what. That you're gonna be open to his will and his word. Some of you may not be settled, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm gonna walk through in, in a gracious and a loving way I think what God's will is very clearly presented to us. I hope you'll consider it. But I hope all of us today will will pay very, very close attention to what God wants. It's best. And don't mistake his patience like Israel did as his absence. But understand, listen, at some point in time, he's not sending Nebuchadnezzar. He's sending his son. And when his son returns, the end will follow. There is a judgment coming. And we need to be prepared. My wife and I went to dinner a couple weeks ago. This restaurant we've never been to was like on this rooftop of a hotel. I don't know, eight, 10 stories up. And we had dinner and we were kind of looking around afterward and, uh, and the fire alarm went off. Like legit fire alarm, like with the vo- that annoying voice. Fire, fire, please leave. Fire, please leave. They find the most annoying voices for those things. And it's the, it's the strobe light and it's the voice and it's the alarm and the elevators are shut down. And it's like, it's a legit alarm. We're like 10 stories up. There's one way off this building, down. I'm like, man, if there is a fire in this thing, we're in, tr- I mean, this is gonna be interesting, right? And she and I look at each other, like, what are we gonna do? And I'm like, I think we're going down. And said, so, all right, let's go. We weren't panicked, but I mean, we said, all right, let's go. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> We walked back through the restaurant. You know what everybody else was doing? (laughs) Nothing. Eating, drinking, talking, laughing. Nobody paying a bit of attention. My wife and I are like a little shocked. We're the only ones who asked what we should do. And they said, well, the elevator's shut down. You'll have to take the stairs. We took the stairs. (laughs) We were the only ones. Literally, we're the only ones on the stairwell going down. Get outside, fire trucks there, firefighters running in. I didn't read about any building burning down. I think it was fine. But it struck me like literally, I mean, for five minutes, this alarm's going off, this voice is there, the lights are there and nobody's paying a bit of attention to it. Literally nobody. And I have to confess, if I'm honest, I wasn't the least bit worried. Because in our culture, when we hear a car alarm, a fire alarm or something, it's just a test or some kid pulled the handle, right? We don't take these things seriously. And I'm just telling you, listen to me, I'm telling you, in our day and time right now, that's how most people approach eternity. Oh yeah, there's a God and there's a judgment and there's a heaven and a hell and there's a way to live and there, there's, there's, there's a plan and a purpose to anchor your life to, but nah, it's, I mean, you know, come on, we're 2000 years into this thing, Jesus hasn't come yet. Hey, listen to me, God's sounding the alarm, do you hear it? God's given us a warning. Have you not read it? God's told us time and time and time again with strobe lights and voices. Hey, I'm coming. My son's gonna break through the Eastern sky. He's coming. I'm not gonna tolerate this wickedness and evil forever. I'm not gonna allow this suffering of my people anymore. In fact, he says, for the sake of my people, I'm gonna cut these days shorter than they would otherwise be, but make no mistake about it. The the ax is gonna fall at the root of the tree and judgment is coming. 
Don't listen to the voices of our society that discard the Lord and His will and His plan and His purpose. Don't listen to them when they suggest that, that these things are meaningless. Listen, listen to the warnings of your faithful God who loves you, that there is right and wrong. There is a good path and plan for your life and your family. And there is one that will wreck it all. There is a plan and a purpose for you for eternity, not just the earthly. Listen, invest yourself, your life in such a way where you're living for it. His warnings are there. The alarms are sounding. It is imperative that we anchor our lives in His truth.